0: what's up military millionaires i want to make this the absolute best show about building wealth for service members and veterans and to do that it helps for me to know more about your goals what's holding you back and what you like and don't like so much about the show as it is right now so would you please take five minutes to fill out a super quick survey for me to help me out with that now in return i will be mailing out a free signed copy of both my book the no bs guide to military life and the new military millionaire 90 day planner to one of you to show my appreciation for completing it you can find the link to the survey notes for the show at well in the show notes for this episode and then at from military to millionaire.com slash survey once again that's from com slash survey for the chance to win two free books and help make this show the very best that it can be. I'd really appreciate if you could take a moment to fill out the survey and now relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast. I'm your host, David Bray. Today, we are here with Ryan Crownholm, who I met just kind of randomly in a Steve Sims Zoom call when, uh, we're, we're both going to go speak in August at one of his speakeasies in LA. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. you're clear to depart friendly lines roger vic one oscar mike and we were sitting on the zoom call and i don't even remember if it was i think i asked a question i don't know one of us was talking and i was like oh army vet and then uh we just you know slid in the dms and i was like oh private message i was like oh we should connect and we talked and then afterwards i was like you should come on the podcast because it's got a pretty cool story and here we are so that's the The background so ryan was in the army and he's a serial entrepreneur so he's now started five different companies or businesses uh sold over half of them so he's uh got crown capital adventures uh dirtmatch.com mysideplan.com uh grassroots was construction and then he's kind of built out from there we'll talk about all that uh and he does a lot of uh Mentoring now uh, for entrepreneurs, CEOs, veterans, uh, and both current and formerly incarcerated individuals. And then he's also done a lot with uh, crypto and NFT projects and uh, just a lot of really cool stuff. And uh, yes, we were talking and I was just like, dude, that's a lot of just interesting kinds of businesses that I don't know anything about. And, uh, you know, not real estate. Well, I mean, there is real estate, but just a different topic. So, I was like, this is going to be fun. So, Ryan, thanks for joining us today.
1: Yo, what's up, Dave? Good to see you, man. Yeah, and, uh, I, I had, a inter- I guess, a fun time in this conversation with you as well. And so, uh, it's cool what you're doing on the podcast. So, hopefully, my journey over the past 20 years or so after getting out of the military is
0: interesting to your listeners. Oh, I'm sure it will be. Yeah. So, uh, I guess, first question would just be, you know, I um, you, you were in the Army. What did you, what did you do in the Army? And, and how did, I guess, where'd you, where'd you get started? How did you go from Army and what you did in the Army to starting a business?
1: Yeah, so well I, in the military, I was a 14 Sierra in the Army, which is Stinger Missiles, Avenger crew member, so air defense, which does not translate into a civilian job. <laughs> it's oh. a very, very applicable. So, yeah. <laughs> so got out and, uh, you know, it, it was funny. As soon as I got out, uh, my parents were like, oh, you can stay with us for a little while until you get back on your feet. Well. Two weeks later i went to the gym and i came back at their house at Ferndale. and so it was like okay no house. they were under construction and so i'm out living in my car and like sleeping on friends couches like oh this isn't good and uh, so really rock bottom uh which is which turns out is sort of a, a point for me where i where i sort of buckle up and, and get the most sort of motivation to get stuff done and so i was working at the time as like a bouncer and then actually a bartender and sort of working the restaurant scene while i was in college and then uh i decided to go out and start doing a uh, hauling business and so i had this this whole truck that i had bought and i threw a trailer on the back of it, and i started going to construction sites just cleaning it up because i could do manual labor i love manual labor and so by the time i graduated from college that little sort of hauling trailer turned into a dump truck and then another dump truck and eventually into by the time i graduated about 10 trucks and 20 guys and doing a little over a million year in sales and i thought you know all my friends are graduating college. So they're getting job offers for like 40,000 a year. And I'm, you know, making a little six figure salary and like doing pretty good. And I think I'm going to stick with it. And so, uh, that business grew into over the next, um, you know, decade or so into a pretty good sized general engineering company demolition. So heavy equipment, trucking, excavating, uh, as well as other out- offshoot businesses. So I had some recycling centers up in the Bay area, property preservation company. I had, several other about it over the years and so um, turns out I was just really bad at working for other people kind of learned that in the military uh, like I i don't want to be an employee and so the only option for me was to figure it out myself and so
0: that's what I've been doing now for 20some years yeah well it's uh, I guess one solution to not working for other people this is but what what I like about that and I originally when we were talking I was like oh wow those are all way different businesses. And how did you get into that? And you corrected me and you were like, no, nope, actually, they all kind of tie into each other. And you explained that and how they flowed. And so I'd love for you to kind of talk through that piece, like how you went from the construction business to uh, the recycling or, or uh, what that what kind of that flow was, because it, when you said that, I was like, oh, actually, that makes 100 percent perfect sense. And I think it it's kind of like the vertical integration kind of, uh, you know just like almost natural progression. I think that a lot of, not a lot, but some entrepreneurs go through, like from the outside looking in, it's like, oh, Ryan has shiny object syndrome. But then you start talking about it and you're like, oh no, actually that makes perfect sense for why those things lined up like that. Uh, If you could dig a little bit deeper into like how you started the second one. And
1: all the other businesses that kind of came off the main business were typically they were like problems that I had within my business that needed to be solved. And so when you come up with a problem, I, I like to come up with systems or solutions. And when I have in-house solutions, it's when the solutions are good enough that often other people want those things. And so you can either take it and outsource it, have someone else do it for you, or you could open up with, open up as a product center. So for example, where recycling centers was, we, we we're taking a bunch of TDs, monitors, refrigerators, things like that. The the landfill charged us a bunch of money for it. And I thought well just become a state recycler just do it for ourselves i had a five thousand worth of warehouse and an acre of land and so i went to the state and i said hey I, if the landfills are getting permits uh, why can't i and they go well because you're a little guy i'm like well that should not be a, a rule against a little guy what does it take to be a big guy and so if they gave me the paperwork and what i had to do to get it done is that i can do that so i went through it basically made it so i was a self-recycler so all of our stuff would start coming back to our own facility and then at that point, I was like, well, we're on a pretty busy street. So I wonder if I just put an A-frame sign out on the street and just open up, it. what would happen? And it turns out a lot happened. Cars started coming in, and we started, you know, pretty soon we're recycling million, millions of pounds of uh, TDs and CRTs and electronics. And uh, we had, I started making arrangements with the metal recycling companies. So they would bring me dumpsters, they're paying me by the ton. And so it turned into a nice business. I thought, I, I could probably do another one of these. And so I opened a second center. And then I uh, started doing like recycling events all around the Bay area. And so this, what was a, uh, uh, you know, a pain point for me, which is, uh, you know, it, it was an expense I turned into a profit center. And so, uh, that was one really good one. I had some other ones too, like, you know, in 2007, when the housing market was correcting. Um, you know, we were seeing a lot of these foreclosures everywhere. And I thought, you know, Hey, we got all these trucks that were having a hard time keeping busy because the new construction had, had turned off basically and the economy was kind of dropping down, but we're seeing all the foreclosures. So I got to find something to do with these trucks, start calling on banks and realtors, and everyone it ended up being a, you know, one of the larger, uh, uh, REO specialists, like clean up property preservation companies. As long as the guys were willing to strap water, heaters and put up smoke detectors and weed whack and, you know, uh, bore up houses or whatever we had to do. And so grew that into a pretty good sized company as well, just to carry us through, um, later after that, um, I also had uh, turned into what it was it, it, like a really oddball sort of niche, but uh, the largest swimming pool red waffle contractor in California, uh, where we were taking out 300 swimming pools a year. It was another niche that had sort of surfaced up, popped up, and I go, "Well, I can do that." So you know, specialize it, bring in a geotechnical engineer, and you know, perfect my process and make, set my equipment all up for that, that that purpose. And it was something that was sort of very repeatable so it's very easy to train people to do the same processes over and over again therefore the profitability was great you know 70% margins gross margins on a pool removal where most of construction is you know 35-50% so worked out really well so um, I'm always just looking for opportunities uh, within those businesses uh, you know there was other issues that I had like at the end of the day when I would for a pool removal I'd have to come home and I'd have to drop my site plan it was a huge huge pain in the butt so I created a process around that and, um, and my process made it so that now I could, uh, basically send the, uh, send the report, the request to my drafters and the drafters would have my plan in my email box in the morning. I'm like, oh, this is a huge time saver for me. I love it. Now I thought, hey, I wonder if anyone else could use this service. And so I opened it up to the entire U S and now, you know, we're, we've been in business for about nine years. Joint site plans, one of the largest provider, of non-certified site plans in the U S, um, dirt was another issue, you know, because we were swimming for removal, we needed about a thousand yards a week of dirt to fill, you know, five or eight pools. And so, uh, so I had a person in my office whose job was to, uh, broker the dirt out. And so they would make phone calls, truckers, excavators, and, uh, and they would just coordinate to make sure that I had the dirt that I needed while making sure my competition wouldn't get any dirt that they need. Um, so kind of run a little mini monopoly. And after I sold that company, I thought, you know, that might be another one of those systems that would be really useful to other guys in construction. And so that was the the DirtMatch.com. Now we are the largest online uh, brokerage service for dirt. And so uh, it's been uh, very successful. Millions of yards of dirt are exchanged on DirtMatch every year. And um, just taking the problems that I had with my business, creating a system around it, and then uh, asking other people if they would find it useful. And that technique has worked.
0: Yeah, I love it. I I absolutely love that idea, that mentality. And I think it's I think it's great. I think uh I've made a lot of videos talking about how my I think the most valuable skill set that like an entrepreneur can have is like creativity and just the ability to think through a problem and and be like, "Oh, you know, actually," uh and I think those are all just really good examples of like the idea that like you didn't take an expense in a landfill and figure out a way to reduce that expense by having less items to recycle. You figured out how to completely eliminate that expense and turn it into a profit. Like that's, I mean, most people like, Oh yeah, we reduced this expense by 30% and that would be still good. Like that's not a bad thing, but to flip it upside down to turn it from red to green and then build a business around it to turn it into a revenue generator is just a whole different way of thinking. And most people don't generally think that way. And it's really cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's about creating space in your business. A lot of people are so, uh, sort of head down in their business, you know, trying to just get stuff done that they don't take the time to step back and sort of look at it from above and look below and look for creative solutions. And so that's been for me one of the most important things is like I just go on like a couple wow walk every morning and I think about these things and these ideas bubble up and I experiment with them. And often those experiments turn into something, like sometimes they don't, but still,
0: you know, it's always useful yeah, practice and testing. And yeah, the the power of thinking. And and yeah, it, I like little would have thought of. Yeah, <laughs> I know. When you're walking, have you ever read the book, uh, how oh, was it not go for stupid? Um, Oh, I'm, I'm, it's sitting on my table right now. I and I can't. I can't think of the name. I'm staring at the cover of it right now. Anyway, um, it's in the other room. But he talks about like thinking time, and like once a week you should sit down for um, a, uh, you know, an hour and just focus on like one major problem in your business and and ask like a really deep, big question about that and just deep dive it and how that'll change yeah you know i it,
1: and it's, it seems like some people look at that time as like wasted time it's like we need to be produ- productive all day long and so they're like people have to fill every minute with doing and sometimes like the low-hanging fruit is actually the not doing and so like it feels unnatural to some people when they're like oh i can't just go walk for an hour this morning i like i got so much stuff i think how much stuff i could get done in an hour and it's like yeah but think about how much like thought that's not gonna happen like going out and collecting different information sources and never like processing it into something is, is pretty, it, to me, that's a huge waste of time. Like, don't, don't consume a bunch of information
0: if you're not going to do it. Useful. I agree. Yeah. yeah walk or even like, uh, when I used to train for endurance sports, like a, the slow, like long runs after like the first mile or two. And you kind of get into that. Um, uh, it's almost like a zen state. You get into flow and it's just the, the, I used to, I used to like, at first it was like a bad habit. You know, the Marine Corps in me would come out and I'd be like, don't pull your phone out. You can't pull your phone out and stop running or you can't pull your phone out while you're running. I'd be like jogging down the trail, trying to like type, but I would always just pull my phone out on like Google keep and just, I'd have an idea and I would just keep notes or, or Google calendar and just type it in and put the phone back. And I probably, some of my best ideas have come out of either a walk or a run. Just once the juices get flowing, that, and then that that runner's high is magic. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's good times. It's yeah, yeah. Definitely not something to underestimate. Uh, and I'm glad that you said that because you're right. Uh, people don't they get so wrapped up in the business that they don't take time to think, and then you wonder why you're not having any more ideas. Yeah,
1: you know it's funny. He, a lot of people, when they're having issues in the business, they think first about like, okay, who should I, who should I bring on to solve this problem? Like, and they usually, they'll go out to like a console and a consultant will come on in charge of a bunch of money to look from an outsider's perspective into your business and try to tell you what's wrong with it. When nobody knows your business better than you. So you're actually the best consultant you could ever hire for your business because you know it's and that but you haven't taken the time to like stand and look at it from an outside. And so the consultant is just going to waste your money. I mean, they're going to come out and they're going to give me some BS. And even you're going to look, they say like, oh, every time exactly the same. Right. And so that's where, for me, it's like, okay, I just need to be the consultant. I need to have separation. And it's when I have that separation and I look at it and that's what I, that's where my gains come.
0: That's huge. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. I yeah, I, that's yeah. Huge. So, okay. So you've run a bunch of different businesses. Um, I'd imagine you have a decent team you're obviously good at the system side what what are some of the things that you've learned over the years that have really helped you as far as like I guess like putting those systems together or putting the right people in place to help run those systems because obviously uh, you are most likely well I should say obviously I would imagine that if you're able to step aside and take time to think you're probably not, running all five businesses or all of the businesses on your own. There's there's probably, like you said, systems yep. in place and people in place. So what are some of the things that you've, you know, have helped you along the way with building all that out so that you're able to still take time? Because most people can't find that in one business.
1: Sure, yeah. I mean, I've had to learn to perf- over the time just to perfect my hiring process. So getting really, really good people on board and people who are creative and, um, you know, uh, basically they're self-managed people who work within bounds so i have I, I do create very you know very solid systems and i give them bumpers you know it's like you ever go bowling with a kid and you put those like bumpers in the bowling alley and then they, they throw the ball so that they hit the pins but they you know they, they still let them do with their thing and have fun with it that's what my employees get it's like it's like here's the bumpers this is what you got to stay within use your creativity and get stuff done Okay. And then and as long as all the data and everything to me is, is trending in the right direction, then we're all good. And so in within my business, I have a lot of triggers and uh, like feedback loops and things that make sure that all my customers are happy and my employees are happy and that like everything is working well. And that I get an email every morning that basically gives me all my key metrics that I need to look over. And then my day is done. After I look at this email, as long as I see that all my, you know, my, um, my, my sales and my, discounts and my returns and my conversion rates and all these different things are in line then i'm good so all the work that i do is like i come in and talk to you or you know I have meetings with people or i think about the things that 10x my business so all my time needs to be spent on the 10x things and my businesses are structured where they're going to grow at a natural rate without me so if i disappear for this next year my businesses will still grow 20 or 30 percent if i stick around and I put more time in make them over 200 300 percent or maybe a thousand percent so that's um that's been really important for me it's just um you know creating bulletproof systems but then still having enough triggers built in within that so that if something goes wrong that I know immediately so I can come in and fix it a lot of ways to go I think there's you know since you're you know military uh focused podcast you know I, I I think that there's a lot of things that I've seen in veterans that have worked for me and other things within myself as a veteran that have, have, been really beneficial to me as an entrepreneur. Um, and you know, let's, let's throw, throw that idea around a little bit, just cause I love veterans. I mean, it's like my, when I was at a construction company, I was like, it was some of the only people I could find that were like, like really knew how to work and not complain, or at least if they complain, they just complain about each other and actually it's like team building almost like it's so. Um, yeah, you know, one of the things, especially in construction is hard work, you know, and, um, and something about when you're in the army, like she'll be, I was army, you were in court, but, um, so you're probably tougher than uh, the, the ability like to know that you can't just walk away. Like you have to build this, like this, uh, this resilience to like, I can't just be like, oh, this is too hard. I'm going to leave. Because that's what I would run into with a lot of the other guys uh, that worked work for me if they hadn't been in the military or hadn't been in a situation where they could just quit like another job. And so they have this ability to like, to sort of just push past really hard things. And that in entrepreneurship is incredibly valuable because it can be really, really hard. You know, although my businesses uh, for the most part run themselves now, that when you're starting a business, like there's no way around the hard stuff. I mean, it is hard. It is defeating. It's, you know, there's failure after failure. And if you don't have grit and resilience, you probably won't make it through. And most people don't. And so those are some things that I've seen uh, that
0: have helped, at yeah, least for I, me, that's I really helped that. me out. I, I actually, I joke all the time about uh, the BMW phase of entrepreneurship below minimum wage. And uh, I, I joke that uh, all the hurry up and wait and extra and duty I, you do in the military for no extra pay. Uh, trains you for that because it's like by the time you get out of the military you're like wait i'm working for free but it's for me instead of the dod like this is this is great i'm used to working for no extra money but at least it's for my dream um you know right well it's also you know for me in
1: the military there was a lot of frustration around the way that things were done and so if you're you know if you're the kind of person that actually likes to optimize things and, and create systems and like to, to build things that are, that are substantial and run well, uh, being in an organization like the military where they don't do that, uh, will drive you crazy enough to where by the time you get out, you're like hardcore about growing exactly the opposite. And so like, there was things that you'd go to the motor pool and they're like, sweet the floor. we like, we swept the floor yesterday. It's clean, but there's like grease on the walls. Why aren't we cleaning the grease on the walls? You know? Because I thought what I told you to do, do some push ups. And it was like that kind of stuff used to just drive me crazy. <laughs> like, like, like there's things we could do to make the systems work better and we just don't do them. Yeah, I always. And, uh, and so that was like, you yeah, know, I think there's a lot of things that there's be, a lot of you pick up in the uh,
0: military, the shield, the, the parking lot. lot to show, you know, how clean your parking lot was when the CG came or the sergeant major came and you're like, I don't think the CG or sergeant major cares how clean the parking lot is. Um, but, This is fun. Thanks. Like, I'm in my Charlie's out here sweeping in my choriframs rather than like, because we can't, heaven forbid, we wear our nice, you know, camouflage utilities on duty instead of nice khakis. But whatever. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, this makes no sense. But. Yeah, no, yeah. I love the Marine Corps. For yeah. sure, good to have so. them behind us, though. It's good yeah. times. But, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that about hiring veterans because um, I, I definitely think that there's uh, unique advantages. I mean, there's a lot of tangible skills, depending on your job, that you get being in the service, but there's a ton of, I think, unique intangible skills that service members and vets bring to the table when they come awesome. Uh, you know, active duty or, or even reserves. Um, just, I think a lot of life experience for one at, a, at an early age, especially, uh, you know, you compare a a 24 year old coming out of the service to a 24 year old coming out of college. And I think there's a noticeable difference in the experience at that age of just what they've done in life. Um, but then, I mean, just the, there, yeah. there's just, okay. it's just a different, different, I don't want to say different breed, but I think we all know, right? Like the discipline and the grit and the, um, it, it takes a certain type of person to go. And, and I think a, a part of it is bred by the military for sure. Part of it's just that only a certain type of person goes in the military, you know? And, and so it's what chicken egg. True. True. I, but I also think it was like, you know, we all have like a like
1: a set point reference point of like what suck means and like when you've spent a couple either either combat deployed or you've been in the field for a couple of weeks and you haven't taken a shower and you're hungry and you're filthy and like like that's a really good set point to have if you haven't been through that you don't know what that feels like and so when you go out for like an eight or 10 hour work day and it just happens to be hard and you're dirty, you're like, you're like, well, yeah, this is nothing compared to like Bosnia when we were out for, you know, for weeks at a time and like, covered like, you know what I mean? And so I think that is really important too. It's like with my kids, it's like, I almost want to just go like throw them out in the dirt for a couple of weeks, you know, whether they're yeah. military or not. So at least they have that reference point of like what it really means to suck and what your body is capable. Of. Like, like the fact that you, you, you learn that you it's okay if you don't sleep for three days, you're going to live. It's okay if you're like, you know, you're completely exhausted. It means you're like halfway yeah. to, to like where fully
0: exhausted. Means, you know, fine. I was, and so family, like I think two nights true. ago with the wife and the, you know, the very end where they do the five questions or whatever, and you have to try to get the top answer. And the question was, we asked a hundred people, you know, what's the longest you've gone without a shower or a bath? And the first person gets up and says, One day and I chat I chuckled and I looked at my wife and I was like, Yeah, right. Guarantee that person's gone longer than a day. They they just don't wanna they just don't wanna answer that on live television. And then the next person gets up and they, you know, they, they say one day and it goes Brah, and they have to answer again and they were like, two days and I was like, Yeah, okay. That person's also gone longer than a day and doesn't want to admit it. And then the number one answer was one day. I just laughed. I was like, everybody pulled, just didn't want to be the person because I was like, man, that or they just didn't ask a single veteran. <laughs> I was like, in a week, like a month, I don't know, like yeah. wouldn't you say showered is like <laughs> pouring water and like right. baby yeah, wipes, I, like I, like we had like week. I mean, at, at least a that, month where it was that's like. Ice stick. It was like. like show up sometime, or did we like? Does it count if it's like the shampoo, like you just kind of like the, you know what I mean? Like the, the rinse shampoo that you just, I don't need, oh my gosh, if deployments are a whole different beast of like, there we got some baby wipes in, <laughs> I think that counts. <laughs> yeah, I know. It just, yeah. You clean the ball. So you're right. Like yeah. There's a, I just went to this veteran event last week and we were laying in the prone and hundred degrees out shooting guns and middle of the day. And I don't think a single person complained. I mean, I had salt stains on my undershirt for the first time in a long time and I had more fun, you know, and it's just a good time. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah. I I love the idea. And, And I love the idea of hiring vets just to, you know, the, the culture too. Like I can, when I'm hiring and I'm not admittedly, not the best at hiring, at least not yet. I still got a lot to learn, but, one of the things I'm trying to do is, is get better at the culture side right up front, right? I'd You know, either a video showcasing what the culture of my business is or, or little things like at the bottom of the application saying, hey, I want you to, you know, you can do all this stuff, but also you're going to fill out a, this Google form and then email your resume, your disk profile, and three references to this email address. And the subject needs to be badass EA applicant. Uh, and of the like 60 people who applied, like... Like 18 people sent the email with the stuff, but only like six of them actually typed badass EA applicant in the subject. And I'm like, those well, six are the only people getting an interview because they're the only six that were like a decent culture fit. All six were yeah. vets. And of those six, like it was like two Air Force, two Army, a Marine, and a Navy. Yeah. And I'm like, perfect. All six are like, they filled everything out. And so I'm digging through all their applications today for whatever. But I was like, man, 60 people applied on Indeed Eighteen did the email. Only six of them were serious enough to actually type the word "badass" into a subject line for a job, and all six of them happened to be veterans. And I was like, "What a what a funny yeah. what a funny thing! Like, what a culture we yeah, have Yeah, like, I never would have guessed that."
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good that's a good start when you're hiring is just to like the basics, like have some sort of attention to detail. And That's one thing they can teach you in the military is attention to detail. But for me, like when I'm going through the, I, by the way, I have a huge pain. Like if I have a hundred applicants, I've got like 20 of them, I'll put through a test. And then I put another, like that, the one, 10 of those I'll get rid of. And then the next 10, I'll put through a test. Get rid of five, well, next five, I'll put through a test. And the, and the test actually doesn't mean anything. It's more like the communication, like how quick were they turned around? Like did, where they courteous? Do they seem like, you know, were they anxious? Like.
0: Like all of the other stuff besides the actual test I'm doing, is yeah, it's like the. And uh, that's how I get down to the people. And two of about. two of the my favorite like things that I've ever heard from people with interviews, and one of them I don't think you could actually do. One of them is like the, you you on like your third or fourth interview, you just like on the way on the way to the interview, you go shopping with the person, and then you just watch to see if they put the card away when you're done, and that's that's the that that right there is the whole interview. But the other one is. So, so that was, Can you go shopping, you could, so I, shopping. I haven't, I haven't, but I heard someone say once try. that what they do is they will, <laughs> they will get in the car to like go to lunch and then be like, Oh, Hey, we got to go run and, and do whatever real quick. And they will like stop off to like run an errand at like target and they'll like, you know, whatever. And they'll have a cart and the, some like obscure thing. And somehow they'll have it to where the applicant has the cart. And like the entire interview is literally to see if the applicant puts the cart away once they drive off once they. Yeah. That is. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know how you'd pull that that off, but it's like, they're like, yeah, there's no social reward for whether they put the (laughs) cart away or not. So if they do, they're my kind of people. And if they don't, then I don't want to work with them and they don't know that that's the interview. So it's just a real test of their character. (laughs) I'm like, I don't think I could pull that off. But the other one that I find interesting though is They'll do like the second or third interview over lunch, and they'll just show up 20 or 30 minutes early and tell the waiter, like, hey, no matter what, mess up their order. I just want to see how they react. I was like, that one you could pull off. And that's an interesting test to see how, see how, see someone's personality. Cause I've seen some people get really mad over that.
1: Yeah. I, I like that yeah that would be good like even just being in a car with them would be good like let them drive mm. if someone puts their blinker on do they like speed up not to let them in
0: are, are they yeah a guy like i don't want that it's guy. it's amazing when you think about it like how much of yeah. hiring doesn't cool. actually come down to what you know at all like i mean you gotta have some app skills
1: yeah. but yeah. well yeah you hire you hire on potential like you're You you can train anybody to do any job, but what's, what's more important is like the work ethic and like whether they're a nice person, you can't train someone to like, to have better work ethic or to be a nicer person. It just doesn't work, but you can train where to keep driving around a stressful situation. I'll go with the, I'll go with the hardworking, the hardworking person who's like fun to be around. I'll, like who doesn't know how to drive a tractor over the guy who's like worked at 10 different companies, yeah. knows how to drive a tractor, but he's a complete jerk and everyone
0: hates him. Yeah. Like yeah. That, the guy, that I, I got no need for him. So. Yeah. Definitely more valuable to me than, yeah. Yeah. And then when the old, uh, like at the very bottom of my application, I have like the, one of the requirements is that you have to be able to pass the, the chug a beer test. Like, would I be willing to meet this person to drink a beer on Friday night? If you're not, like, cool enough, like, not that I'm going to go and drink with all my employees, but, like, if if we don't jive enough that you're the type of person I'd be willing to go have a beer with, then it's just not going to work in, in the company. Like, sorry, because, well, for one, I like to be able to be like, it's Friday, we're going to go have a beer for lunch, and you're going to go home, I don't care, like, whatever. And not that you have to have a beer, but, like, that's the culture, like, if you want, like... <laughs> I have scotch in the office. So if you want to have a glass before we, when we celebrate a win, like whatever, I didn't create my own job so that I couldn't have scotch in the office. you yeah. know. So whatever, but that's, that's a whole perk of culture, I guess. Right. So, and again, you don't have to drink, but you just have to be cool enough that yeah. I'm comfortable fun. having a beer with you. And if I f- get the vibe that like, It's actually kind of funny. Um, Man, I don't know if I should say this. Um, They don't listen, so it's whatever. Uh, When I was engaged, we were planning out the wedding, and my now sister-in-law, we were in the car. This might be the only time I ever rode in the car with this Uh, sister-in-law. And she, for reference, she smokes, and I, or at least did at the time, and I know enough to know that she has partaken in alcohol or at least did right like so this is not somebody who has never drank in their life and just has like a bad taste right um but we were planning out the wedding we're talking about it in the car and we're having it at a baptist church so like you know limited dancing or no dancing and then like after. so the after party was like we're coming back to the father-in-law's barn he's got like a a 50 this is missouri we've got like a 50 by 80 or 50 by 60 barn massive barn with like an apartment built into the back and Uh, cool. uh, And so we're going to, you know, the after party is like, we're coming back. We'll might have some dancing, but we'll have some, some beer, some pizza. People can hang out, whatever. Right. And, uh, and so like in the car, she was like, you're not going to have alcohol at that part. Right. Like you, you shouldn't have alcohol at your wedding. And like that one comment, like literally we got out of the car and I looked at my wife and I was like, I, I kept my tongue or bit my tongue. But like she lost me. Sorry. Like
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know you know what? I, I actually I don't drink, but uh but if I have people over at my house, I always make sure I have some beer and alcohol there. Like well, some <laughs> so, some
0: of my friends are just downright boring if they don't it's like I'll be sober, but <laughs> I man, and, and I I might have know, one so. or two glasses <laughs> of something a month. Like I I am not a drinker really either. Uh, but it's just the idea that like if you're the type of person who is you know just like that that you're just you're not cool with like being like light you know like you're just stuck up enough that like i, I don't know you, you know what i'm saying is it's just like, like the culture the culture thing where it's like look i i just want to be not, easygoing like, carefree whatever and uh Part of that is like, hey, if you want to have a beer, have a beer. If you don't want to have a beer, don't have a beer. I don't care. Just don't get it your die.
1: That's just like just like everything else in life, right? It's like live and let live. You
0: yeah, do your thing. I'm going to do yeah. mine as long but as you're going to work in the company. Mine. You got to be cool enough, like that. I could feel safe having a beer around you, and you're not judging. me. And if I feel like you're going to judge me for having a beer, then uh, yeah, I'm not going to pay there you. God. Sorry. Like you can go judge someone else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. So anyway, all right. So we probably beat the cold. That's right. 100%. Enough there. So tell me a little bit about this uh, NFT project you're working, you, or the uh, stuff that you've been messing with, and then uh, some of the we'll talk some of the mentorship that you've uh, done, and, and probably wrap things up.
1: Yeah. So so I've uh, I've been just let's say curious about the crypto space since probably 2013. I um, you know read the Satoshi white paper at the time, and I thought oh, this is actually very cool. So I was intrigued by, enough to buy a few Bitcoin. just to understand the basics of the technology and then and then i just forgot about it after that until 2017 That you know ethereum came out some more contracts and that's kind of interesting too and so went down that rabbit hole to understand it and so kind of had been an outsider for quite a while um but had a pretty good grasp of kind of how everything worked and what the potential was and what the uses might be still waiting for the the, to see to come to fruition um but um I would, I think when the NFT stuff came out, it, got, it started to get really interesting. Uh, and so I was, so one of my friends, uh, is Scott Kelly. So he's an astronaut, former fighter pilot. And, uh, I was at his house and he's showing me these pictures he has from space. And, and at the same time, the Ukraine war was just breaking out. He's, he was, you know, he has family that's Ukrainian. Plus he's also friends with a lot of Russian cosmonauts who were not trolled you know, war. And, uh, so we got into a conversation about like, what could we do to raise to raise some money for the people out there just for you know support for the people that being be displaced to start getting them clothing and food or whatever whatever we we could do you know and just bringing stuff into poland why don't we do some more like let's do something based off of your time and space and so originally we were looking at the photos that he had which were absolutely amazing but then we ended up just getting an artist together and did this 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 really cool um generative art of like just um some of it, like Ukrainian theme stuff. So like if you have like a soccer ball, but he's in space and space outfit. And he said, like, if you go to, uh, you go to OpenSea, you can see the stuff we did on the area was, uh, look up Scott Kelly NFT and you'll see the stuff. But uh, we raised about a half a million dollars in six hours selling these NFTs. And uh, and we donated 100% of the proceeds. And so actually it was cool because when we donated it, we donated it to the organization. They went and they put it off a bunch of them in the pallet that they were bringing them into Ukraine. They put our artwork on the side of the pallets and they sent us a bunch of pictures. So that was a brutal warning, but that was, you know, that was one project and I've, I've dabbled in uh, some other, as far as working w- with teams, I have some uh, friends that are in the movie industry. And so we've looked at, um, you know, doing a movie memorabilia and things like that based on NFTs as well. Uh, we started a localization called the Western NFT partners with me and a handful of other guys, you know, putting together some different ideas where we could, you know, sort of leverage their insider Hollywood stuff into the NFT space. And so it's been fun. I, to be honest, I, I past year or so I backed off of that space some, just because the things have just really imploded in a, in a way that's, you know just say the space is not looking so hot right now uh the technology's the same it's still moving forward actually it's probably better that things have been floated because they can get back to business you know mm-hmm. instead of like a lot of the speculators have gone away um and so uh but i'm not currently doing any more any more projects until there's a little bit more regulatory clarity and you know it's yeah. not worth the risk at the time yeah. for
0: me Right? i mean now. that's so cool that you were able to raise through that uh it, it's it's a very interesting space and I think there's a lot of potential with some of it. Like it's, it's, it's one of those, I think it's like the dot com thing, right? Where it's like, I think like 70, 80% of the kind of stuff that's floating around in the crypto world is probably going to just kind of disappear. You know, I, I can't exactly see a uh, real world application for, uh, you know, like come rocket or whatever that crypto, you know, some of the, some of those. Coins that are floating around, but uh, but I think that the technology behind, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've
1: got a I've got a lot of comfort Doge right, and you I, know, I I think, know,
0: but uh, uh but I think that the sure? blockchain yeah. technology and but, uh, some of the applications for NFTs and uh, you know, the the Ethereum and and some of that stuff is is very fascinating and and has a lot of potential over the next decade probably to just revolutionize a lot of stuff and so it's it's pretty cool to watch some of the projects that are unfolding um kind of in the background right now because you know it's not as mainstream as the prices are kind of down but once they pick back up it'll become loud again it's it's always funny how that all works but
1: yeah you know and i don't know if it, you know the that the attachment to the price is i think part of the thing that bothers me about it you know i, I so it's been 10 years now that i've been sort of playing with the crypto space and i don't use any crypto on a day-to-day basis you know i i, I think the bitcoin is valuable to have just a sort of a cachet of you know money on the side that you have access to that no one else can take from you that's great as far as the other things the nfts i've got some artwork and stuff that i keep that's not you know it's not really worth much i just kind of like it but there's nothing like on a day-to-day best basis and so when a new technology comes out like like AI, like I'm on ChatGPT and BARD every day. Like it's it's yeah. immediately was incorporated into my workflows. And so that was the technology that was like, well, this is really useful because it's here and it's your stay and I'm using it every single day. Whereas the crypto stuff
0: hasn't done that yet after a decade. And that kind of, yeah, I think that is a little part. bit of a red yeah. flag. Like I see some real world applications for things like uh, blockchain and NFT potentially replacing title companies or, you know, stuff like that. But. It, it's going to take a long time for that stuff to come to fruition. But then, like you said, yeah, ChatGPT is all over. I mean, that's, I, I've replaced a lot of processes within my business or, or at least dramatically decreased the time for said processes within my business.
1: Oh, I, I I'm a free of drama. Plan. I came to work one day and my ChatGPT wasn't working. I went home. <laughs> I'm like, how about I'll work without this? Like, what about, how am I supposed to work just as a regular human? That's ridiculous. That's
0: hilarious. so, yeah. I have a friend. It's that level uh, already. Like, yeah, so, I told all my employees yeah. that they're no longer allowed to ask questions on Google. It's all ChatGPT now. They're like, if you were going to Google a question, you'd ChatGPT it. I was like, oh, that's actually a pretty interesting take. I pay yep. for every one of my employees
1: uh, to get on the ChatGPT Plus. Absolutely. So 20 bucks a month, or 20 bucks. Yeah, and, and, and I make them use it in every part of their job yeah. every day because each one can 10 their, really their productivity. Well, yeah. if they so,
0: okay. It. So you, and now you're doing some mentorship and you're yeah. working, uh, I know you've done some, uh, some mentorship within, uh, local prisons, right? Is that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I do. Well, in, in prisons and then also at the halfway houses and then after they get out as well. And so, um, I have, i mean i have a book club that i run for because a lot of times the guys when they were in they learned you know a passion for reading but maybe didn't just read the right stuff and so i've got a book club where we go through a lot of these sort of foundational readings that can help them you know kind of the whole idea is like you know when i when i got out of the military i you know i was kind of hit had a pretty hard landing uh meaning i had zero to my name and living in my car but you know was able to leverage my own skills what i had into growing a business and i stumbled probably for the first decade like i did pretty well but i made a ton of mistakes and so here these guys are you know they made a huge mistake when they were tip most of them when they were young right they're under 25 years old and they're you know full of testosterone no guidance and they do dumb things and then a decade later their prefrontal cortex develops and they're like okay i screwed up and now they want another chance so i think that my skill set can kind of help them um uh Sort of fast forward through the decade of sort of wasted time that i did and i can t- help them sort of get past that and so really just say you know what can you do you know you're strong can you clean a kitchen can you you know can you work on a car or can you you throw up sheetrock like let's leverage that into a job because you know a lot a lot of these guys have a hard time finding a job they'll have to hire someone with a criminal record and so uh, just helping them you know leverage that into a into their own sort of self-employed position and then from there, if they have the chops, uh, take it from being a self-employed person into being a business, which it's, you know, staffing up and growing something, um, you know, where you start to li- yeah. leverage other people's labor right. to
0: your, do you thing. have any, uh, what are, if you, if you don't mind, what are some of the, uh, you know, top like two or three books that you try to walk people through in the beginning stages of that book club?
1: Yeah. So, uh, one of them, I had one of those, uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear, because, uh, it's, uh, it's almost like a prerequisite. It's like, cause if you're going to read a bunch of books about creating new habits, we should probably teach you how to make habits first. And so, uh, so that's one that I like to start with and it's actually sort of thematic. So we are, as we're going through the books, we're reflecting back to the other books. And so after that we do like, uh, how to win friends and in-laws, how do you talk to people? How do you grow a network? How do you like those things have been, uh, really helpful. Uh, and then you know, you know, like a e myth revisited, one like that would be good. Uh, the war art is a great one. So it, there's a handful of them that um, that the guys get a lot of value out of them. I just try to make them sort of where they're cumulative, where the knowledge just stacks, and uh, and also just really applying everything directly to their business. Like when we're reading atomic habits, we're not just reading the knowledge; we're reading habits like, let's pick something. Like for me, I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do habit stacking. So I started doing, as I hit my curing in the morning and I stand there looking stupid for 60 seconds, wait for the thing, finish a cup of coffee. I get down to do pushups. So like, it's like making that, like now I do pushups every day for so one minute in the morning and I can yes. out about 45 pushups and like, rather than stay they're looking stupid or like, you know, as I'm, you know, 47 years old, I'm getting older. I wanted to work on balance and so I decided another one was like I'm going to stand up and put my socks and shoes on while standing on one leg and so i like put a sock on put my shoe on tie the shoe and everything and my balance is improving and so every person in there is is working on things uh you know and so that's like this uh this idea of like learning a new uh, like not just like we talked about earlier not just reading and not ingesting information but digesting yeah, and
0: information I and Actually, those are all get to, to action. uh I need to yeah. probably need to reread Atomic Habits. Yeah, like physical copy. I've I've audiobooked it, and I have read the physical copy a while back. I probably need to do it again. It's a good one. never can't. Yeah, you can't. Can't go wrong with it. Yeah, Getting really good. Creating habits for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. Well, Ryan, I know we were. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm at least uh, coming up towards where I gotta get out of here. Go pick a kid up for baseball here soon. Uh, is there anything that we missed that you think we should cover? Yep, yep, yep. I, I I don't think so. I'm happy to be, just, you'll revisit like it later, later on,
1: but anyway. uh, uh, it's good to chat. Where can people get a hold
0: of you if they'd like to reach out?
1: Yeah, uh, just check out RyanCrownholm.com or, uh, or at Ryan Crownholm on pretty much every
0: platform <laughs> because there's not any other Ryan Crownholm's out well, I love it. This was super valuable. I think we had a really good conversation. I'm sure people got a lot out of this, and I'm looking forward to meeting you in person in August and uh, hearing your presentation. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, likewise, man. Yes, sir. Cool. All right. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from military to millionaire dot com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.